0: Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebolero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson.
1: It's time once again to go Inside EMS. You know, I'm Chris, this is Kelly. Let's just go down, just a really quick introduction. We always go through this big, elaborate, formal introduction, but, uh, you know, this is the Chris and Kelly Show, the Chris and Kelly Inside EMS Show. So here he is right now, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing?
0: I'm I'm capital, man.
1: How was that, man? Just a little brief, quick little in and out, right?
0: Dude, who who are yeah, you? I don't what know, do you know, man. I'm for Cibalero. I'm what making happened t- to the carnival barker showman.
1: I That's right. That, I am trying to turn over a new leaf in 2016. This that's is my this is part of my professional development. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that's right. You're embracing Will Rogers. Levity is the uh, brevity is the soul of wit.
1: Really? Look at you quoting people. You got another one?
0: no uh there was an old man from Nandu- no let's uh, and, <laughs> uh, so
1: we had a really good week we had some really great uh, uh comments from our last show and, you know, I think that it was really awesome, uh, you know, to have a guest on. And that was one of our listeners. It was, was one of those things where, you know, it, passing in an email, we talk, we were talking about, uh, you know, this would be a really good topic. And one of the things that we've done, Kelly, is we want to give people the opportunity to come and, and, and share their thoughts and share their knowledge. Because you and I have said it before, this is their show. We are uh, not
0: the only people with opinions.
1: And and probably better than ours, too. There's probably some out there that are better than ours. But we did get a couple more emails this week. Uh, So let me go ahead. and We pulled some out so we can talk about them. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the show over to you before we get into the news. And uh, let's hear what the listeners have to say.
0: Yeah, one of our one of our listener emails comes from Matthew Romei, who uh, said, "Chris and Kelly, I found it interesting that your need for driver's education was discussed in the same show as you highlighting people going to jail for Medicare fraud." Um, it may sound like a stretch, but you get for get what you pay for. If reimbursement is going to be so low, how do we justify training drivers and hire enough crews to do the job uh, to avoid lights and sirens transports on everything? In other words, he's 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 pointing out that that often in uh, with EMS reimbursement so low that it drives uh, the decision making process on uh, to be as as cost effective as possible, and and that's one reason many systems do lights and sirens transports on everything is is not so much for patient care but for unit hour utilization and turning their ambulance as quickly as possible. I think that's one of the reasons that uh, uh, New Orleans Health Department uh, transports everything lights and sirens Uh, and he he points the finger at at reimbursement being so low and margins being so thin to to actually make it pay. Do you you buy that Chris?
1: So I mean a couple things that I think Reimbursement is is, is reimbursement is what it is. I mean, it's not decreasing in any way right now mm-hmm. for EMS. We do have to be able to find the ways that we find new funding models now as we start to see a decline in what we're going to be able to collect for fee-for-services. Now, yeah. and just for the people that are out there listening, a little background, and we've talked about it. Right now, you go to somebody's home. You give them care. You put them on a stretcher. You take them to the hospital. We're able to bill for that service. That's a fee-for-service. But when we do things like, you know, treat no transport and treat people with D50, treat them without albuterol, and we do that on the scene, we don't get reimbursed for that. We'll send the bill to the house, but if they don't pay, then they go through whatever processes you guys have. And that's really where that challenge is. So right now, the money that we're making, the money that we're able to make is the money that we've been making, you know, all this time. But that is now going to start to dwindle. When we start to talk about if our role is to deliver the highest quality of patient care, we have to be able to have the tools necessary to do our jobs to do that. That's driver training. That's making sure that the clinical department isn't the first thing that's cut, the clinical education. Mm -hmm. Making sure that we have professional development plans for our clinicians who are able to now grow what their uh, strengths are are, or polish what their strengths are and grow what their weaknesses are. So the money is still there. It's what we're doing with it Mm -hmm. isn't the right thing.
0: You know, he, he goes on to state in the in the email uh, that he was told on hiring at a private EMS uh, agency that runs nine one one calls that everything gets transported lights and sirens that every patient gets O2, IV monitor twelve lead EKG and D stick. And he responded with, uh, can I have that in writing? Which apparently they didn't give him. Um, But I think that highlights the problem more than than actual uh, cost savings or or efficiency. It's just lowest common denominator thinking. They don't trust you to to think. Um, They don't trust your clinical skills. Uh, They look at you rather as a caregiver. Uh, You are simply a vehicle to generate revenue.
1: Yeah, Um, And that's what
0: they're... That, that's a you know that's a, a commonplace problem in a lot of EMS systems. I hesitate to call them systems. Let's just call them ambulance services. Uh, and, and every insult intended to to those kind of systems.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that you got to think about as well when it comes to billing is is remember back in the old days, Kelly. We used to have to put every single thing we did. Mm-hmm. Every single piece of equipment we used, we had to we had to document. I used yep. six four by fours. I used two band aids. I we went ahead and did, back then. exactly. We and we and, haven't been able to for years. For years, but still, when we talk about billing, billing is done on a you know a one two three um, you know ALS one, ALS two, BLS one. So whatever falls within that. It doesn 't make a difference if you're doing a D stick. It doesn't make a difference if' you're, if you're starting uh, or if you're using uh, you know six, four by fours anymore. There's only one rate, and we get a higher rate for the those echo level calls, the cardiac arrests, the respiratory arrests, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the same rate no matter what. So when we think about that we're not getting money for the things that we do, we 're getting reimbursed for the overall process that we're running on that treatment. So it doesn't make a difference if you're using lights and sirens to get to the hospital. It doesn't make a difference if you're starting an IV on somebody, if the medical necessity doesn't warrant the IV, you're not getting reimbursed. You don't, you don't go up yeah. another, uh, you know, the, the difference from an ALS one to an ALS two, you, you don't change. So I think that's one of the big misconceptions that's out there.
0: do you, do you see a correlation in your experience with the patients or profits over patients mentality, and and earn as much, make as much money as you can, uh, with uh, lack of driver training and and uh, uh, that sort of thing, um, you know, short shortcomings in education or pencil whipping things in those types of agencies?
1: I got to tell you, I mean, I've had the opportunity to work in the big. Um Ambulance companies, the privates, mm-hmm. and I know you work for uh, another big one. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, earlier in the career, you start to think that the organizations don't really care about patient care as much as they care about the P&L, the bottom line, and what that looks mm-hmm. like. Now, they're not going to come out and say that because they'll tell you that their business is patient care. But their, yeah. but their I guess, actions will show yeah. that it, it it is, you know, secondary to making the, um, you know, making that P&L look good. You got to remember, yeah. I mean, these guys who are running these companies, they got to answer for what that bottom line looks like. Basically, what I'm saying is, is that, uh, you know, there are companies out there that make X amount of money per month to deliver the service, and for there to be a profit in there, because they're for-profit companies, mm-hmm. um you got to think about where those cuts can be. And Kelly, I've seen it more often than not. And it's one of the reasons that I won't go back and work for a for-profit organization if I can help it.
0: You know, I, I, I've spent my career working for for-profit EMS agencies, uh, some good, some bad, some were small with a whole lot of heart and some were great, big, huge conglomerates who only cared about the bottom line. Um, but I don't think for profit EMS is a dirty word and and I don't think that they are they are necessarily uh you know, by their very design prone to giving shoddy patient care or, or being more worried about uh, profits than patients. I, I think my current employer, Acadian Ambulance does a great job at it. Uh, some of their, uh, some of their uh, policies I don't necessarily agree with, um, but they're not deal breakers for me. Uh, they don't handcuff me and, and, and in providing the patient care I need to do. And, and I think they do a good job in balancing uh, profits and and patients. Um, but there are plenty of others out there that, that do not. And, you know, God, I talking with listeners of the show you hear these horror stories uh, you know with with EMTs who are are forced to to fraudulently document so that people can get paid uh, they can get paid at a higher rate and that sort of thing uh, and I think uh, there are a lot of predatory companies out there smaller ones usually who who do that sort of thing and ironically enough in, in talking with uh, some of those people they are also uh, the ones that that don't do things like driver training and expect you to run everything lights and sirens. That's why I asked if if your experience mirrored mine in that regard.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things that I was surprised about, uh, was, you know, you you bring up the the fraudulent thing. And last week I asked you, you know, does that really go on? And and you said, you know, it happens every day. And you don't see it
0: in the really big companies because they understand the stakes, but man, some of the smaller ones. Oh yeah.
1: And even before we, we finished that show and had that wrapped up, I mean, Kelly did receive an email from one of our listeners to say, I think there's some fraud going on in our agency, and I don't know what to do about it. And and Kelly and I are kind of mulling that around to see how we can kind of focus a show on that, and we're going to see if we can get some legal experts involved so we can get some help out to our listeners. Um, but, you, you know, I, I guess you were right, man. I guess this is pretty prevalent, and uh, it might be something we got to address.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's, that's a show in and of itself, but we've got another, another listener email, Chris, why don't you, uh, tell us about that one?
1: Yeah, we got another, we got another email and I'm sorry, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm sure I'm going to butcher this name, but, uh, I'm going to say it's his first name's Ishan. Would you say that it's Ishan, Kelly? Yeah. Okay. I think so. so he's an EMT uh, martial artist, and he thought that a video to Kelly uh, would be interesting. Uh, he kind of brings some uh, light to, you know, we've talked about arming our EMTs and paramedics. Uh, we've talked about that on the show, you know, a couple times, Kelly. And I got to tell you, the more and more that we start to see, you know, all these attacks that are going on, the more and more, you know, you start mm-hmm. to think about is there some type of. Um, Uh, tool that our EMTs and, and paramedic providers need to keep themselves safer more and more ems agencies now that you see on the news are starting to get body armor mm-hmm. what are they doing that for so it, it seems that it's only a matter of time before you're going to start to see some type of uh uh arming of our providers if things are going to start to get bad mm-hmm. i mean is is it a bad thing now to to deputize the the emts and the paramedics and teach them a little bit about law enforcement and teach them a little bit about self-defense and teach them a little bit about uh, you know how to handle these weapons i don't know but uh, we certainly appreciated Sean sending us his uh, his email, and I'm really interested. And I'm sure he is too, about what you think about it.
0: Well, you know the 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 video link that he sent was uh, it's an old one, uh, been around the internet quite a while, but it's the basis for. Uh, law enforcement teaching in, in their academies uh, that a, a knife-wielding attacker within 21 feet is an imminent and lethal threat um, because they can generally get to you and open you up before you can uh, clear your holster. Uh, and and uh, martial artist Dan Inosanto demonstrates that multiple times throughout this training video. This looks like circa 1980s. So I've seen it a number of times. But uh, Sean makes a good point that, you know, in the close confines, of an ambulance cab, if, uh, if an attacker is armed, um, you know, you're, you're going to get hurt whether you're, whether you're wearing a, a pistol or not, you're going to get hurt unless you have some type of, uh, open hand, uh, martial arts training, some self-defense training, you're probably going to catch some knife wounds um but I, I think he also makes some some assumptions that that i don't necessarily uh agree with uh, number 1 that uh we would be openly armed i, I don't think uh, open uh, carry for emts is much of a deterrent uh cops get shot all the time uh and they're openly carrying with with badges and symbols of authority um I don't think that uh increasingly now that uh that EMS is, is no longer viewed as non-combatants and we're losing our uh our um uh non-combatant status in the eyes of of some of the people who would do us violence um and I certainly don't think that carrying a weapon on our hip visibly uh would deter an attack um and he he rightfully points out that that uh or not just him, but but others have rightfully pointed out that an that an openly carried weapon in the back of an ambulance, um, unless you have specific training in weapons retention and a good retention holster, you don't have a gun. We have a gun. So what about we meaning the patient and you? Right, right. <laughs> it's just a matter of who's controlling it right now. Um, but I, I do. I don't think that's where the where a pistol. Uh, would do the most good um, First of all if you have a patient who's that prone To violence and you've got him in your ambulance In the first place the question then becomes Why the heck do you have him in your ambulance Why are you transporting him if he is that Much of a risk uh, Have you assessed him and, and not Found weapons on him before you even loaded him uh, Why did you load him if he was that violent That's something that, that uh, Kip Points out in, yeah. in his uh, in his Classes is that it's not our Job to restrain people And to, and to uh, um, put people in custody. Uh, so that, that's the fallacy. Number one is that we're fighting with someone who doesn't want to be there in the back of our ambulance. I don't think that's where a, where a pistol would, uh, or, uh, any type of handgun would, would do us any good. Uh, it may do some good outside of an ambulance, but one of the, the things that people mistaken about my position on the subject is, is just because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I carry a weapon off duty and uh, and, and I'm fond of, of shooting, that sort of thing, they think I'm an automatically an advocate for, uh, for armed EMS, and I'm not. What I am not also is someone who is going to dictate to another EMT or another human being how they may or may not defend themselves. So while I may not choose to uh, carry a weapon myself on an ambulance, and I don't think it's a good idea for other people, if it were legally permissible for an EMT to go armed on the ambulance, I'm not going to advocate that uh, that, that right be taken away.
1: So. Would you do it? I mean, so I right, do it. Well, come no. on, let me let, let me play, let me give it to you right now. So, the the rule has come out that if you have a concealed handgun license, you are now able to carry it on the ambulance. And and I'm with you. I, before let me before I preface this question, I'm with you. In the back of that ambulance, you are not going to have the time to pull that weapon out and defend yourself before you've been stabbed five times. So with that, I mean, I'm with you 100%. I, I don't know that uh, I would do it, but you, the Ted Nugent of EMS, you have the opportunity. What do you do?
0: Uh, I wouldn't carry a weapon. Um, it, people, people lose sight of the fact that... Uh, the weapon is not a handgun. The weapon is the mindset. And I have very different mindsets uh, when I'm off-duty and when I'm on-duty. And I don't know that mentally and emotionally I can make the leap from from viewing people as someone I'm there to help uh, to viewing someone as a potential threat and an adversary uh, and still be the same kind of provider I am. So, so you're no, talking I, about...
1: You're talking about in general. You're not just talking about one specific incident.
0: Yeah, I'm talking about in general. Not to mention the logistical problems. You know, you're, you're going in and out of hospitals. You're going in and out of jails and sally ports. You're going in and out of all sorts of restricted buildings where where they commonly ban the carry of firearms. I know they allow police officers in those buildings, but those are commissioned police officers. Uh, you know, in their in their normal duties, uh, whereas uh, effectively an EMS. Uh, Personnel would probably be considered a private citizen uh, uh, carrying a concealed firearm, uh, which would make them prohibited in most cases. But aside from that, it's you know the Marines had a had an excellent uh, saying in that regard. I said you know be polite, be courteous, have a plan to kill everyone you meet, um, and, and that is essentially what you have to do when you are carrying a concealed weapon off duty. Uh, you have to be in some degree of of alertness and cataloging people as potential threats um, It's not to say that you're you're constantly um you know in condition orange or or condition yellow but you do have to size people up and categorize people a little differently than if you were on an ambulance and I'm just not ready to uh, potentially go from uh taking someone that i was called there to help and then looking at them as a as a adversary or a threat that i may have to kill i um, just not ready for that and right. and i don't know that that many people who who uh advocate carrying on an ambulance have made that mental decision uh, either so for me no i would not carry a weapon on the ambulance however if it were if it were legal for other people i wouldn't i wouldn't question their right to do so right so
1: Oh, interesting! Interesting, but uh, since we've spent a lot of time uh, on these two emails, and we do appreciate it, so you guys out there, Kelly always gives you the, you know, the address at the end of the show. Send your comments to the show at ems dot com. We enjoy reading them. You know, we we talk about them, um, you know, during the week, and then we pick some out and we talk about them, and we really appreciate that. But Kelly, since we're getting up there in time, let's do one news story. You got one for us.
0: Yeah, this one comes out of Lorraine, Ohio, and it's one that warms the cockles of my evil little heart. A man who filmed a crash scene was sentenced to jail. Uh, This is one of these bystanders filming, but with a twist. Wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: We're allowed to film... (laughs) <laughs> They're allowed to film. You I mean that's their right to film though, isn't yeah. it? What are you talking about here? Yeah,
0: we we are except for in this instance and this is Oh, this so is there's more. The so there's more. Yeah, there's okay, go more on. to the story. But wait, there's more.
1: That's who <laughs> are you? You're the Paul Harvey of Inside EMS. <laughs>
0: And now for the rest of the story. Paul Pelton, 41 years old, filmed the scene of a crash that killed a young man, a 17-year-old man named Cameron Friend, and severely injured his friend, Zachary Gooding, instead of helping the victims. Okay, not only was this guy a scum-sucking human being for filming in the first place, but he filmed rather than help them. And what distinguishes him from just a bystander filming uh, a public uh, event is that he opened the car door and filmed inside the vehicle and then tried to post Amazing. the vi- posted the video on Facebook and tried to sell it to TV stations. Nice. Um, uh, and he, uh, he took a plea deal, which in my mind is, is extremely light. He was on, only got 30 days in jail and a $250 fine, uh, And that deal included the dismissal dismissal of bribery and witness intimidation charges because afterwards he went to the injured teen's house and tried to persuade him to tell police that he had permission to open the car door
1: oh that's awesome
0: (laughs) what a scumbag
1: this sounds like a seinfeld episode (laughs) yeah that's something that (laughs) george would do it's right this is indifference well towards remember the last episode was when they didn't help the guy who was getting robbed man but you know we're laughing about it but you know it's just goes it's crazy kelly because this is the society we're in right now Hmm. where people are just using their phones for um fame You know, I mean, just everything that they see, they're thinking about it going viral and they're thinking about it. And you and I have a different mindset. When we see those accidents, we know what is going on inside Mm -hmm. those cars. I mean, we're trained to know what type of injuries based on the impact and blah, blah, blah. Uh, You know, here's a guy that could have very easily picked up his phone opened the car door, and started to render aid, and while he was waiting for the cops, you know, maybe I'll just take a little shot of this uh, uh, accident, but that's not what he did, man. He did it purely for greed. He did it purely yeah. for, uh, uh, you know, being a self-centered human being, and, and it really is a despising story.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, had he stood across the street, or stood in the street and filmed the exterior of the car, he would have been just as much a scumbag, but we would have no legal standing to to punish him in any way.
1: Now, was he but, the cause of the accident?
0: No, I, I don't think he was the cause okay. of the accident. Uh, the news story doesn't say so. But you know, legal doctrine in most states considers your your car an extension of your home, and by opening that car door and filming inside, he was violation violating uh, the victim's right to privacy, uh, and, and that's probably the distinction that got him jail time and a two hundred and fifty dollar fine. Uh, rather than being able to stand there and, and publicly film sure. uh, as, as a citizen, so um, that's that's the dividing line, folks. You know, if if we're on scene and there's a news crew or a, or a uh, bystander filming us with uh, with their cell phone cameras, we can't do much about it, and all we can do is look like absolute and utter jerks because there is no expectation of privacy in a public place. But if the vic- if the uh, the uh, videographer is getting in our way and filming inside the car or they're coming up to the ambulance and trying to film inside the ambulance. Well, that's a different story. Um, We'd still look like uh, jerks if we, if we, Uh, got in a confrontation with him, but at the very least, you can preserve some privacy by covering the windows and that sort of thing. But I'm just happy to see Mr. Pelton in jail for 30 days, and and that fine should have been much higher, Uh, and hopefully he has a lovely, lovely time in jail contemplating what a douchebag he is.
1: Yeah, and I think he got four years probation as well, too, as part of it. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. just the fact that he has to do 30 days. And, of course, sometimes probation, uh, that gets to be a real pain in the butt as well. But, uh, yeah, this was Spe- one. You're
0: not, you're not speaking from experience, are no, you?
1: never indicted. <laughs> never indicted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so, no, not from experience. But um, I, I did have friends who, you know, they had to go there every week. You got to pay to blah, blah, blah. You got to make sure you're on time. You got to do year and out. I mean, there's so many things you got to do and um but you know this was just a story that didn't warm the heart and uh, i don't know if i was more offended for the fact of being a, a responder and being there to help people uh, or being there from the greed aspect of it by saying that this guy tried to profit off somebody else's misfortune yeah yeah well kelly i think that we have come to the top of our or i guess the bottom of our show so uh i'm gonna go ahead and say to you
0: take us out of here
1: get Get us up on out of here. That's right. What are, right. You, are you mocking me now? You're, you're just mocking me? Is that what you're I'll, doing? I
0: mock you every week, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, all let's right. Go. guys, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Email us your questions, concerns, comments at the show at ems1.com, and you may find your issue being discussed on the show. And for myself and co-host Chris Civilero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We'll catch you all next week.